Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, Pastor Ben Hartwig gives us instruction on a very important area in this sermon. Pastor Ben talks in depth on what God's Word has to say about the tongue. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to James chapter 3 as Pastor Ben delivers his sermon titled, The Tongue, the Poison, and the Cure. look at this morning is is not often taken as seriously as it should be. Um, you know, every time we open the Bible and we uh, look at a passage, what we're looking at is we're looking at sin, we're looking at a fallen condition, and we're looking at redemption uh, in, in every passage of the Bible. Uh, but depending on how culture goes, sometimes there are some sins that are, I mean, all sins to be taken seriously, but uh, there are some things that are really expounded upon in the Bible that uh, aren't paid a whole lot of attention to sometimes. But as we look at what we're going to look at now, we can say for this one, it is more deadly than a uh, 20 millimeter solo thern cannon. It's a big gun, if you don't know what that is. It wins without killing anybody. It tears down homes, it breaks hearts, it wrecks lives, it, it travels extraordinarily efficiently uh, on the wings of the wind, if you will. It doesn't need mechanical things to travel. There's not any innocence that's strong enough to intimidate it. There's no purity that uh, will daunt it. Uh, it has no regard for the truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for defenseless. Its victims are as numerous as the sand at the beach and often as innocent, it never forgets, it seldom forgives, uh, what might that be? Well, um, turn to James chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 2 through 8. Now, this is, there's a lot in these verses, and so we're, we could take you know, any one of these and, and go through, and we're going to kind of take an overview of this. Since we, uh, we just have a short time here and, and don't have weeks to go through this passage, we'll uh, kind of take an overview of it and hopefully we'll glean some things out of this. So James chapter 3. So as we talk about the destruction of, of what we mentioned, we don't <coughs> think about something as seemingly insignificant as the tongue. Verse 2, chapter 3, James. For we all... Stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Let's pray. 
Father, help us this morning as we, uh, we, we look at this passage, we think about these matters, we see the significance of something that we often overlook. Um, flying off in a, a, a flippantness of the tongue, of the mouth, the words that pour forth, Father, and, and, and may something that should be those who are redeemed, those who call themselves believers, Father, that a fountain of which should spring forth words of praise, um, words of righteousness. Father, may they not, um, be these mouths be bringing forth cursings, evil, wickedness, serious warning, and may we take it seriously, something that is often overlooked. And Father, give us help as we look towards this, Father, and, and may... Everything that we say then, the things that we say, the things that we do, that which pours forth in speech be that of not a world of wickedness, but a, a praise and righteousness. And we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we need to recognize and what James, I think, is telling us very clearly is that there's a, a lot of power. There's much power in the tongue. And, and, uh, and this is in control guiding the body. Not only will guide our body, it will guide the bodies of others. Uh, James uses comparisons here as we see of what the tongue is like. He alludes to what the tongue is. The passage uh, shows us that while the tongue is in powerful guiding this entire body, this ship if you will, it uh, can be a world of unrighteousness. As he says, it cannot be tamed by man. So as we say that then, what is it? What is going to tame it? Because, you know, if we just take this passage and stop and we, and we say these things, there, there may not be a lot of hope there for what is going to tame it, what is going to guide it. Now, uh, as, as a Christian would give this instruction to Christians, uh, you know, we could just flat out say, you need to control your mouth, right? I mean, that, we could say that. We need to control what comes out of our mouth because if we are a believer, we, we, we know some things and we need to control the tongue. Why? Because of perfection imperfection. <laughs> Big difference. We need to control the tongue because of imperfection. In verse 2, when he talks about, we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, James mentions a problem that is possessed by all of us, and that is we have a tendency to stumble. There is a tendency to stumble. More specifically, we, we shouldn't just call our stumblings and imperfections stumbling and imperfections. We need to call them what they are. We need to call them sin. We have a tendency, he says, to sin. And what's more, we have a tendency to do it again and again and again. And what's more, we stumble in so many ways and in so many things. And outside of Jesus Christ, outside of our Lord, we are plagued with an inability. We're plagued with an inability to be obedient to Christ. We're plagued with an inability to do anything but continually sin and continually sin in so many ways. And so well, many folks sin in many ways. One may not have a weakness the other has, but every single person, this is what James is getting, and this is part of the warning here, every single person on some place in the spectrum, somewhere, fail at this, struggle with the sin of the tongue. Why? Why do folks try and fail? Why uh, do you try and fail? Why do I try and fail? 
We find it cures our stumblings, of course, not to perfection. You know, we're not looking at, at, at this perfection here on earth because while we are looking towards that, we're striving for holiness. We aren't going to be perfect while we were here, while we're here. But where are our eyes fixed? When we submit to Christ, He takes control of our lives, including our tongues, especially our tongues. This is is a sort of completeness. Again, don't hear me say complete perfection or anything like that, but it's a sort of completeness in Christian virtue anyway. This is the idea that we would keep our body in check. Control of the passions. Self-control. If a Christian should have something, it should indeed be self-control. And again, don't, I don't want you to hear me say that the tongue is the heart. Okay, the tongue is not the heart. What pours forth from the heart will pour out through the mouth, right? It will come out of the tongue, out of the mouth. And, and, and even whenever we deceive ourselves and deceive others by what is coming out of our mouth, that just shows how wicked the tongue can be, again. So we bridle our tongue. We have a handle on our passions. Now we need to, if we go back one verse to verse one, we see he sets this in a context of teachers. So let's use that real quick because I'm taking this verse, we're applying it, uh, of course, to the church, to us, to us as believers and what we're to be doing in, in, in bridling this tongue. But we look at his immediate context there um, of, of teachers in verse one. Not many should become teachers uh, in verse one. Uh, greater strictness by which you will be judged. And, and the fact is, we, th we take this in the church, what is the pastor preaching? What does the pastor teach? And you go from church to church and place to place and, and you look at all the big mega churches that get all the press and, 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 the, and the books that pour forth and the people that pour forth and the things that they say. But whenever a pastor teaches and preaches for years, that which is solid theology, good right teaching, we see that the tongue of another can destroy it in seconds, can destroy these things in minutes. And so, with respect to our imperfections, which is really sin, if we call it what it is, we will find that with respect to our own affairs in life, if the tongue is controlled, general self-control will be a result as well. And it's an implication of the curbing of evil when we say that we must control the, uh, the tongue because of imperfection. We realize that we control the tongue because of the intense evil. In this sense, we're released, we're freed by the curbing of evil action and directing the body into good action. So as we think about where are your sin problems, where are my sin problems, where do you have the most trouble? Again, why is the sin of loose lippedness, you know what it means. No, it's not a word, but you know what it means. Why is the sin of loose lippedness flying off the tongue the one that I don't ever want to admit or talk about? Why is it if I go to my pastor or my close friend and I talk about this issue that I'm having? You know, I've got this real intense problem with gossip. It's not something I've heard a whole lot but it's easy to get involved in it, real easy to get involved in it. And it destroys so much. So we, we recognize these 
imperfections and this imperfection, this sin that we hold, the seriousness of the tongue, the direction then that it will put us in whenever it's either in control or out of control. So we must control the tongue because of direction. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Nobody in this room has the strength of a horse. James gives this image here of direction as applied to this little tongue that resides inside the mouth. He tells us that the tongue is like a bit under in the horse's mouth by which the rider controls the entire horse. Just as a horse is much larger, much more powerful than a human being, anybody in this room, several of us at once as a matter of fact, cannot control a horse. The man with this bit can now control something that previously could not be controlled. The entire direction of the horse, no matter how large. You could put an 80-pound little girl on a horse, and now all of a sudden she can control that horse. The bit that turns the head in the direction, the entire body will follow of the horse. We look at something that is so small, so simple, guiding an entire large, powerful animal, the tongue changes direction of the whole body as well. What happens to a horse that has a wonderful trainer? Like a good trainer. That horse, because of that direction the trainer has taken it, that horse can accomplish some good things. For the one who masters the tongue will find themselves in a direction right in seeking the glory of God, accomplishing great things for God. So, what is the direction? What is our direction? Created things of size, greatness, these are things that cannot be the source. These cannot be the object of Christian faith. Wisdom from God provides the capacity for bringing usefulness out of these things by whether they be the direction of the physical body, institutions, movements of people, things like this. We get proper direction when the Word of God is applied. The Word that should find itself continuously where? On the tip of our tongue. So we determine with David with King David, that our tongue must be in check. We love righteousness more than flying off with the tongue. David said, Psalm 39, 1, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. As a horse, no matter how gentle, by the way, no matter how gentle that horse might be, it must be under control if it is going to be useful. We too, no matter how gentle we might be, because we have all known gentle people, wonderful Christians that never say hardly anything wrong, no matter how gentle they are, the tongue has to be under control to be useful for God. And whenever this is controlled, things follow in submission. So we recognize this direction, this can be set, can be changed by the tongue. We also understand that... Uh, when it's out of control, it's impulsive. And when we're impulsive, we do, if we're frank about it, we do stupid things, right? We control the tongue because of impulse. Look at the ships also, verse 4. So large, driven by strong winds, are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So James shifts from a large animal, something to something much, much larger, a ship. And, and this is a good analogy because of the effectiveness of the rudder. 
as it drives this large ship. James commands his hearers at the beginning of the verse. He says, look, or it could, it could be rendered, uh, behold. And you think of the massiveness of a ship. You think of, I've got a, my nephew is, is, a, is a pilot, on, he barges, he goes up and down, takes barges up and down the river. And you think of the weight and, and just the, the massiveness of this, of this boat and, and how it is turned and everything that is done to, to guide and direct this thing uh, through locks and, and all of this, and it's all directed by this little rudder. The slightest impulse of the man that is steering this thing can change things drastically. Like hit a bridge. Because of the impulse of people, the smallness, and this is, this is a superlative in the text, is, is talking about the significance of how small this is, yet the significance of it in its size. So it is not relative to the effectiveness. The fact that it is small in comparison is not relative to how effective it is. So like the rudder, the tongue is insignificant in size. You know, when you look at somebody, you don't, you don't, there's something, let me see your tongue. You, you don't do that, right? We don't do that. It's insignificant. We don't care. We don't look at it. But it is not insignificant and effective. It's one of the most significant things in our body. It takes us to our impulses, heavily, having, we've got to have the last word. I remember this as a kid. My dad used to tell me that. You always have to have the last word, don't you? My dad would say that to me. Speaking before thinking. Had a guy come up to me at work one day. He was sitting in a meeting, and he told me he was upset. He was he's like, man, I did something really, really stupid. He, he, he was sitting in a meeting, and they were talking about a guy that they were sending to a customer, and he says, but couldn't we send somebody helpful? And he said, it was like a bullet. It came out, and it wouldn't stop, and I couldn't call it back. And he did not feel good about that after it was said. The one behind the wheel of this powerful tool called the tongue must guard against impulse. The one who desires to effectively control this tongue, whether it is gossip, whether it's tongue thrashing, whether it's cursing, must do it and can only do it, guarding it against impulse by obtaining these great skills, these, uh, this wisdom by, of course, Study of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, only by the application of Christ upon the life of the believer and God's Word can this ship, this ship of life, be preserved. The desires, the movements of the body, they're powerful, and yet they are actually controlled by a relatively very small part, that being the tongue or speech. The horse has a bit, the ship has a rudder, the body has the tongue. If speech has such control over the body, who could control it? So we see the serious potential then of the tongue, but we must control the tongue because of eternity. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, and of course, what we recognize, the bottom line with all of this is where we are headed. You know, we talk about direction and which direction we're headed in and, and, and the direction that we are facing, where we have turned ourselves, and all these facts of bits and rudders and take us to the, the tongue's control of the body. The tongue itself would boast about its power if it could, if the tongue had its own tongue, to have this high self-image, to wallow in evil, this boasting, uh, of course, generally a sin as we find it in Scripture, Paul, of course, told us there was one boasting that we could 
uh, boast in, only of the Lord. Boasting, though, leaves a wake of destruction. The tongue leaves a wake of destruction. And it doesn't take much. Very small spark. If you know your history much and you have ever looked into the, the, the fire, the Chicago fire in 1871, uh, as history has it, that was started by a lantern being kicked over in a barn. One little lantern being kicked over in one barn. Uh, over 17,000 buildings were destroyed. A few hundred people lost their lives. 125,000 uh, 125, people were left homeless. So whenever we tell our children something as ignorant as sticks and stones can break your bones but words will never hurt you, that is wrong and it is quite opposite. Um, I could take a bulldozer and run it through this building if there's nobody in here and that is not going to hurt us as a church. I can take my tongue and I can divide this church. Any one of you can take your tongue and divide this church. You can blow up this building without anybody in it and it's not going to ultimately harm us as a church. But any one of us can take something as seemingly insignificant as our mouth, and we can divide and possibly even destroy churches. We can destroy families. Marriages are destroyed by the tongue. We see resembling forest fires, the small devastating spark of the tongue. Malicious gossip, rumors, hurtful talk, it spreads, right? It spreads like wildfire. You know, you just walk into a high school and, uh, and, and have this girl tell this girl something and this girl make up something else, and then all of a sudden, I'm pointing out girls, we should throw boys in this too, but <laughs> they all do it, right? And it takes zero time for this to get around and get twisted, and it hurts somebody. Destruction. But what a difference in the words of somebody who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What a difference in the one who experiences the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to come to a new direction. You look at the power found in the tongue when it's under control by the Spirit. The control of the tongue is more than an evidence of spiritual maturity. It is, it's a means to it as well. Not only did the means... It's the bottom line of where we're headed. The tongue confesses then which, that which is similar in, in Romans uh, chapter 10, confessing the Lord, right? Call upon the name of the Lord. He, she, man, woman, boy, girl would be saved. You see the power in the tongue, the confession of Christ as Lord. What does that do? When I use my mouth to confess Christ as Lord, it changes the complete direction of my eternity. Something so seemingly insignificant as the tongue doing the most significant thing that can be done for us, changing the direction of our eternity from that of a flaming fire to the glory and the peace of an unmatched heaven. So this confession, this turning, using the tongue to confess sin, using the tongue to call out in repentance, to plead for forgiveness, all actions of the tongue that direct us to a life of following Christ then, changing our direction to that of Christ and following Him. But we see it's difficult to bridle this. It's difficult to control this. Why? What's he say? Verse 6, the tongues of fire. Tongues of fire, a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue set him on our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is a system bent towards wickedness. If this doesn't say how badly we need Christ, if there's anything, I know there was, it's been a few years ago, we were doing some street evangelism at the barbecue festival in Owensboro, and a guy told me he did not sin. He did not sin. He just used his mouth to lie. And with his tongue, he said something very ignorant. I told him that in a nice way. But we submit to Christ. We get a handle on this. We don't. This is a system bent towards wickedness. We know that from a simple experience, a small spark, we know this can ignite a fire of great proportions, an entire forest, a state park. We see it out west all the time. Thousands of acres destroyed by something like a cigarette or something like this, right? The tongue, James says, and I think this is significant because he says the tongue is like a rudder. The tongue is like a bit, but he doesn't say the tongue is like a fire. He says the tongue is a fire. The tongue possesses a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is placed among us as is our members, just as our eyes, our nose, and there's nothing that we can do about this. We have this tongue. And notice how even the most attractive of people can be made quickly unattractive by what comes out of their mouth. It stains. It defiles. But our problem is that this is exactly the action that we're bent towards through the entire circle of life here, that this is a fire that is driven by the fire of hell itself. Psalm writer speaks to this in Psalm 120, verse 2. He says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? This system that is so bent towards the wickedness that is the tongue can be also contributed just a simple carelessness. How often do you do that in the last week? Just simple carelessness coming out of your mouth. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. And we don't even notice everything we say. We don't notice every word that comes out of our mouth. But you can rest assured that God knows. There isn't a thought that you have that the Lord doesn't know. So He's certainly going to know every word. He knows every word uttered by a system that is bent upon complete unrighteousness. And what the fire doesn't destroy, the smoke will. You know, it's, it, this is the way fire works, right? A friend of mine when I was a kid, his sister burned up the kitchen. I mean, it burned the kitchen down. And, and the rest of the house, uh, they, they live luckily right next door to the fire department. And they got the kitchen put out, but what the fire didn't get, guess what the smoke did to the rest of the house? Their clothing, everything throughout the entire house. The tongue is like this, permeates. What the fire doesn't destroy, the smoke will. And we recognize that these are the words that we give an account for. We never know when you're going to give an account for the words that you're going to speak. If we do not repent of our words that are bent upon unrighteousness and our account for them is not balanced by the purifying blood of Christ, we are undone. We don't have to be condemned by Christ. We're told that, right? We don't have to be condemned by Christ. We're condemned by this tongue. Many other things. We're condemned by the tongue system of unrighteousness that is bent upon evil. Horribly, this system bent upon unrighteousness is 
as it says, set on fire by hell. The tongue can be Satan's tool, fulfilling hell's purposes to pollute, to corrupt, to destroy. Hell is Satan's place reserved for him and his demons, and it's no place for us to dabble with. Understand that death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's a lot of power there. It holds death or it can't hold life. For Christ to condemn us, again, it's not necessary for that's already occurred. Christ can turn this entire system, though, on its lid. Christ can turn this around. And so we find this is a system bent on wickedness. It's a system where we also have no lordship. So this is what we need to consider as we think about what is going to turn this around for us. And we know the answer to this, right? But what is going to turn this around? As we look at verse 7 and 8, as, as he says, Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly potion. If, if we think of every beast, every bird, every animal, small, large, we think they can, they, they almost all of them have been tamed. They've been pinned up. Some of them even petted. Uh, I guess it's still there. South of Lamar, there was a guy that had elk pinned up. And, and I guess that they were probably tame enough that you could walk up on them and maybe even pet them. I, I, I don't know. But they were there a long time. And I'd say if you wanted to pet one, you might be able to. I wouldn't recommend it. But, but we find that even a beast such as an elephant, elephant, tamed and ridden, get on an elephant, ride it. This is, if you think about it, it's quite ridiculous. But even an elephant can be tamed and ridden. An animal that can kill a person in an instant can be tamed to do just exactly what we would have it to do. But not the tongue. We find all of the animal world can so easily be in subjection to the lordship that man has over the animals. Years ago, I was in an aquarium. You know, you've got dolphins and you've got um, all those little... Oh, you know, they're cute, they can smile, but sea lions or whatever they are, I don't know. It's, but it's ridiculous the things that a trainer can get those animals to do. Wild animals. And he could take these, these animals and it's just insane what he can make. You know, you go to a circus and they're trainers and what, I mean, bears. But he says, this doesn't work with the tongue, not the tongue. It cannot be tamed by man. You can tame a bear... To where you can pet it and do all kind of stupid things with it, but not the tongue. You look at the difference in wild beasts and something as seemingly harmless as the tongue, and it seems that trying to get a handle on the tongue without the power of God, trying to get a handle on the tongue without Christ, is like trying to fight a forest fire with a garden hose. It's not going to work. And the thing about it is, this is not something to say, yeah, you know, you have a weakness with this thing over here. I don't have a weakness with it. that. That's with the tongue. That's not the case here. Like I said, we're all on this spectrum somewhere. We're all guilty of this and shows us how desperately we need Christ. This is terribly unruly. Years ago, a friend of mine who's a pastor told me a story of a guy in the congregation that had claimed that God had called him to exercise the spiritual gift of rebuke. Now, you might realize that 
that's not a spiritual gift that's listed in the New Testament. That did not bother him. And apparently, believing that he was acting as God's agent, this man essentially began to terrorize, really, the entire congregation with his very frequent and insensitive accusations of perfection. Now, I'm not you know, a, a psychologist. I, I'm nothing like this. But it seems that if a person's doing this, he's attempting to wrap himself in some kind of false spirituality, right? This is like some kind of bully, really. I'm going to improve my self-image by beating yours down. And he claimed that he was, I mean, he's a gift given by God. How can you tame that kind of logic. How can you tame that kind of logic without the power of God? So we find our lordship over animals. We find uh, that we can tame the wild for our own security and ridiculous amusement. We can secure cities against the savagery of the wilderness and capture those beasts for circuses and zoos and hang them on the wall and stare at them. Right? But we can do nothing of this nature with our natural powers as it relates to the tongue. It shows our weakness when it comes to saving ourselves. It, comes, it shows our weakness when it comes to our self-righteousness. And, and, and this is to be humbling. We find in our natural ability within ourselves no lordship over the tongue. And so we have no lordship in this area of the tongue. We come to the realization then that Christ is the only answer to this. That Christ is our answer to, to sin in general, of course, but specifically this one concerning the tongue. Sin that, like all sin, wields the end that is like none other than death itself. We have to have this because this is a system that bears death, that, as he says, is full of deadly poison. It's in verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So if we look towards that last phrase in the passage here, we find this is the system. This is the part of the body that is full of deadly poison that bears death. Even the least tameable of beasts can be quiet when it's shot. We can do that. When, when it's tamed in that manner, unlike the tongue, which often finds difficulty in a restful quiet. Sometimes people just have to talk because it's quiet. There's nothing being said, so we have to talk. This system that readily bears death will even utter those devastating words that there is no God. One of the most horrible things that can come off of a tongue, that there is no God. I mean, you think about stupid actions. You think about dumb things. The psalmist tells us that this is exactly what the fool says in his heart, right? That there is no God. Devastating words for the one who lives as if God is non-existent. So the negativity then of James's description of the tongue is blatant. James seems to have almost have delayed this declaration here until he could make a forceful enough argument for it, as if he hasn't already. James isn't talking now anymore. He's not talking in figurative language. He's not talking in metaphorical language like the double-minded person who really cannot trust in God and falls into evil. The tongue, because it is uncontrollable, does the same. That the tongue is evil is a statement that really... It's, 
this can't call for more caution. The stern warning. The body being vulnerable to evil influences, deformed desire is evil. This bend towards death is a destructiveness and it is evil. It tends towards anger. It tends towards self-deception. It tends toward offense. It tends towards quarreling, uh, boasting, bragging, cursing. And given the forcefulness of the tongue, its deadly poisonous effect makes it even more menacing. So it's no wonder that the Lord Jesus Christ equated anger and hateful words with murder. Is the gift of speech in general, is it evil? No, certainly it's not. James knew, as we would see if we went on to verse 9, that humans can speak blessing. We can speak praise. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That humans could truly speak blessing and praise, however, mixing good and bad speech is intolerable for the wise and true believer. It shouldn't. Those, those two things should not come out of the mouth. Cursing's over here and praise for God over there. Keeping this in check is necessary for the believer. So what this boils down to is that there is no one righteous. There is only one to ever live who can claim righteousness and the defeat of death. Jesus never found any joy in gossip, any joy in hoarding that information to pass it along and take joy in that. There's not one of us that's, aside from Christ, who's lived sinless. And so many times we see that character spelled out in conversation. We see it in our talk. And, and, and we know, again, that the core problem isn't the tongue. It's the heart. It's what drives that tongue. So it shows that outside of Christ, yes, we're condemned and we so desperately need to be taking refuge in Christ. So we go back to that first question that we, I hope, knew the answer to as we asked it. What tames the tongue? What tames man? What tames the heart? What can overcome the sin that every single person in this room struggles with? What will defeat these evils that plague our life? What will defeat that which condemns us? Christ didn't have to come to condemn anyone, right? He is here to seek and save that which is lost. He is here for the sinner. He is here for the believer as well. That we would keep focused on Him. He is before us that we would follow Him and follow Him in obedience. The tongue, the mouth is there to confess Christ as Savior. The tongue, small in size, but yet guiding the body. The tongue, small in size, can claim Christ. The tongue can utter the life-changing words that changes the whole direction of our lives. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The tongue. 
yeah, small, insignificant seemingly, can do more for your eternity than any other outside appendage in you, that you have. Your hands that can go serve the homeless food. Your feet that can run to help the older lady across the street or something like this. These things cannot save you. It is for us to confess, call upon Him. The tongue saying, I want to stand for God, obey Him, follow Him, claim Him as my salvation, and follow Him in obedience. Let's pray. Father, may we not ever, Father, miss the significance of our words, of the things that flow out of our mouth. And Father, while every one of us suffers from this on some level, that we live sensitive, for those of us that are believers, that we would live sensitive to the Holy Spirit and know that that thing that we're about ready to say is not to be said. That the mouth that pours forth praise for you should not pour forth wickedness. Father, help us with this. Give us help in this. Help us be sensitive to the Holy Spirit who is helping us with this. Lord, we need help in being obedient. We ask you for this, knowing that you will give us this. Help us to be sensitive to it. Lord, I just ask that if there's anyone here, Lord, that does not know you, that they won't leave this place without seeing me, Josh, somebody to talk about the direction of where they're headed, the direction of their eternity, and recognizing that right now they can use that mouth to call out to you, to call out to Jesus to be saved. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have given us the ministry of reconciliation, forgiveness. And Lord, we ask that you would just help us to constantly be in view of the seriousness of this matter. We thank you. We praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Ben Hartwig's message on the passage in James chapter 3. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.